Well, to the end that the word of God might dwell in us from hour to hour, I invite you to open the word of God written or a Bible from the pew in front of you and turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Concerning him, referring back now to Melchizedek as a, a type or example of Christ, concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Father, I ask that as we unfold this text, you would work on our spiritual senses to create in us a mind to discern good and evil and so be receptive to all the truth that you teach and to be discerning what is amiss. I pray that we would not be dull of hearing but that we would be diligent and receptive and embracing of all that is true and beautiful. And so transform us deep, deep down and make us mature. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Up, up until this point in the book of Hebrews, the author has not stated the disease or the problem that he's been dealing with, you hear it, you can hear it between the lines over and over again when he says things like chapter 2, verse 1, pay close attention. Chapter 3, verse 1, consider Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 8, don't harden your hearts like Israel did in the wilderness. Chapter 3, verse 12, take care lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 1, fear lest you fail to enter into God's rest. Chapter 4, verse 11, be diligent to enter God's rest lest you fall by some kind of disobedience. Chapter 4, verse 14, hold fast to your confession. He hasn't named the disease, but there's a lot of therapy going on here. There's a lot of medicine. There's a lot of effort to fix something that's out there. And you can hear it. And between the lines, you know what it is. But it's named in verse 11 in our text, isn't it? Concerning him, we have much to say. But it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. There's the disease. You can hear it in all those commands. Pay close attention. Consider. 
Hold fast, don't harden, fear, be diligent. They've become dull of hearing. So here's the key question for you as you sit there listening to a message from Scripture, namely, do you have the disease? That's what you should ask yourself now. Do I have the disease called dullness of hearing? And if you do, you need to pray that God would heal you now. You should whisper that prayer. Help me not to be dull. We prayed for a lot of people after the second service. We didn't have too much time. But we prayed for a lot of people because I invited them to come. If you wrestle with dullness of hearing... And they came and we prayed. So pray now that God would give you ears to hear. Let's take those two words. We want to understand this disease and then there's a remedy. So let's get the disease and then the remedy. It's in the text. The disease has two words. Dullness, hearing. Dullness of hearing. Each of these words is used one other time in the book of Hebrews And if you go to that one other place, light is shed back on the meaning of this disease. So let's go to the other place where dullness is used. It's chapter 6, verse 12. If you want to turn there with me. In chapter 6, verse 12, let's maybe begin with verse 11 so you can hear it in context. The writer says, we desire each one of you to show the same diligence... Now, there's the opposite of dullness. The same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope to the end that you may not be, now here's the same word, sluggish or dull or slow. That you may not be sluggish, but here's the opposite again, imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It's very helpful to understand a thing if you can state what its opposite is. And we're given the opposite twice in these two verses. Diligence to turn a message of hope into assurance of hope. So the message comes in your ear. It goes down into the, the hoping faculty, the heart, and either it meets their dullness and unresponsiveness, or it meets a heart warm and open and embracing, and assurance of hope is born of a message of hope. That's the opposite of the dullness of hearing. And in verse 12, the opposite is, don't be dull or sluggish, be imitators, and then two things are mentioned, of those who, when they hear a word of hope, have faith, And out of that faith grows patience, and through that patience comes the inheritance of promises. So, dullness is a condition of heart that when it hears the word, is so inattentive or unresponsive or undesiring that a message of hope doesn't produce assurance of hope, and faith is not born, and and no patience is born. There's a kind of terrible deafness to the word at the spiritual level. Now let's take the word hearing and look at the other place in Hebrews where that word is used. 
to see what light is shed on the phrase dullness of hearing. The other place hearing is used is in chapter 4, verse 2. It says, indeed, we have good news preached to us. So here comes the, here comes the word, here comes the promises, here comes the gospel into the ear. We have good news preached to us just as they also had good news preached to them, but the word they heard, now literally, the phrase is, the word of hearing. It's the same noun that's used in 5.11, dull of hearing. It's the only other place in Hebrews where it's used. But the word of hearing, or the word they heard, did not profit them because it did not or it was not united by faith in those who heard. So you have exactly the same diagnosis here. Here comes a word, a word preached, a word read, a gospel promise. It goes in the ear and it goes down to the moral, spiritual reality that we are as humans and it didn't unite with faith. It just, it hit something hard, which is why hardness is such a big issue in this book. Don't harden your hearts over and over again. It hit something hard and leather-like instead of something soft and warm and supple that just just kind of like an amoeba going around. Just Come on in, word. Come on in, truth. I take you in. I feed on you. That's the opposite of dullness of hearing. So a word is heard with the hearing of this ear, the physical ear, but when it comes to the spiritual receptacle, dullness. No faith, and thus no fruit like patience, and that's the disease. Look at verse 18 there in chapter 3. It's just three verses earlier from if you're still there in chapter 4 with me. Chapter 3, verse 18. To whom did God swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see they were not able to enter because of, and then he switches from disobedience to unbelief. The reason for that is that this failure of the heart to meet the word of promise with faith is the origin of all disobedience. A heart that is not resting in, believing upon, cherishing, treasuring the word of God called faith is a heart that's not going to obey God. And so dullness of hearing is a lethal disease. It keeps you out of the rest of God because it yields no faith. Dullness yields no faith, and when there's no faith, there's no obedience, and when there's no obedience, you read in verse 18, they will not enter his rest. Oh, it's so dangerous. We human beings, I live about an eight-minute walk from here on 15 lanes of freeway, about 50 feet away from the freeway. The freeway is loud. It's like a just a steady roar. It's not too much different than the ocean or cicadas in the tree. If you just 
do a little imaginative work. It's just like living in the Georgia countryside. It's much louder in Barnesville, Georgia, with the windows open at night than it is in my bedroom. But they're all tree frogs and crickets and cicadas. So just the point is, I don't hear it anymore. And if that were the word of God, I'd be in big trouble. It's like Muzak at the dentist's office. Seldom do you say, oh, I love that song. <laughs> what song? Oh, yes, there is music on. Or it's like those, it's like those announcements at the airport about this is a no smoking facility. It plays over and over and over again. You don't hear it anymore. Dullness of hearing that comes in this ear and does nothing is a terrible, terrible disease. Jesus said something really important at this point. Let me read it to you. You remember the parable of the four soils. At the end of that parable, Jesus gives his point like this. Luke 8, 18. Therefore, take care how you hear. For whoever has... To him shall more be given, and whoever does not have even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now compare that with verse 11 in our text. We're back at chapter 5, verse 11. This writer says, I've got so much more to tell you about Melchizedek and things like that, about the priestly work of Jesus Christ, but you, you don't have the readiness and the grace to hear. You have grown dull of hearing, so even what you think you have, namely the word, will be taken from you. This is a scary thing. Listening in the Christian life is of paramount importance. Whether you're over your own Bible at home, listening with your eyes, or listening to a radio, or listening to me right now, or a Sunday school teacher, it is never to be taken for granted, because you can become sick with dullness so fast, and then you are in big, big trouble. What's the remedy? That's the disease. What's the remedy for the disease in this text? Now, at that point, just at that point, I objected to myself yesterday as I was preparing this. I said, uh, wait a minute. Why do you keep calling this condition a disease? It doesn't say it's a disease in the text. In fact, it says that it's baby-like. See that in verse 13? Nothing sick about being a baby. Why are you creating this negative, highly dangerous atmosphere by using the word disease and not using the sweet little image of babyhood? Verse 13, the dull of hearing are compared to babes, not people with cancer. To which I responded... A 15-year-old baby is diseased. 
No, it's not wrong to be babies unless you've been in the world for 15 years. Then you're sick if you're a baby. There's something wrong. And there was something wrong in these churches. There was a sickness that was keeping normal, healthy babies from being normal, healthy teenagers and adults. So the disease is implicit in the lengthy babyhood. We all know that a 15-year-old baby is a very sick baby. If it's a baby and not a doll. So my question remains, what's the remedy? Now make sure here that we've got the disease. I want to stress this. The disease is not physical. Deaf people are some of the best hearers of the word of God. Blind people are some of the best seers of the light of God. This is not a physical problem. It is a failure to have the heart embrace, receive, love, delight in, treasure, cherish, rest in, like the hymn says, the word of truth such that faith is nurtured and fruit is born. There's the disease. Now, what's the remedy? Verse 14 is the closest summary of it. Let's look at that for the rest of our time. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses. Now that's referring, that's a very rare Greek word. It's used nowhere else in the New Testament. It does not refer to physical senses, like seeing, hearing, touching, tasting. It refers to spiritual capacities for judgment. So, solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their spiritual senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, here's the question I ask at this point. I want you to ask. If solid food is only palatable or digestible for the mature, with what food do you become mature so that you can digest solid food? And the answer is milk, which means that the problem in this text, the problem in these churches is not that the milk is weak. It's not that milk can't do this. You've got to have milk to become mature, at which point solid food is digestible. The problem is not that the milk is not adequate. It's not nutritional. It doesn't make good bones or help people grow up. Or make the organs grow. That's not the problem. Neither is the problem that babies can't eat steak. That's no problem for my Talitha that she can't eat a steak. If I give her good milk and she eats no steak and she fails to grow, something else is wrong here. The milk is not the problem. And the lack of eating steak is not the problem. The problem is... 
What are they doing with the milk? What are they doing with the milk of the word? The milk of the kindness of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. First Peter 2 says in dealing with this issue of milk. Like newborn babes desire the sincere spiritual milk of the word that you may by it grow up into salvation. There is nothing inadequate about milk. Milk will grow you up and make you mighty in the word. If you do something with it and are not dull of hearing the way we've seen the disease described. Now look carefully at verse 14. Because of practice, the mature have their senses trained to discern good and evil. This is amazing. This is really amazing. Get this now. The discernment of good and evil flowing from transformed inward spiritual senses, which got that way because there was some kind of exercise, which I'm going to argue is an exercise with the milk, is what fits you to eat. Solid food. A lot goes on before you can handle Melchizedek, it says. And the amazing thing about it is that what's going on is not what we often today think has to go on before we can get Melchizedek or election or definite atonement. What's going on is not primarily or first intellectual, but moral. That's the amazing thing here. The discerning between good and evil is the prerequisite between handling weighty or before handling weighty doctrines. Let's just put put the rubber down here on the road. If you stumble over Melchizedek, it is possibly because there are shady business practices at your work. If you stumble over the doctrine of election, it may well be because you watch seamy television programs. If you cannot grasp and handle the glory of Christ crucified, all sufficient for the redemption of his people, it may be that you love money. And give too little and spend too much. Do you, you see that implied? I don't want you to think I'm making this up. Don't, do you see that implicit in verse 14? That solid food is for people who through practice with the milk of the word have been trained in their senses inwardly to make discerning judgments about good and evil, and then they're ready for solid food. It doesn't say after you go to school, after you take the right courses, after you read the right books, after you get a right IQ, then you can handle doctrine. It is amazing to me that there are PhDs, I used to hobnob with them a lot more than I do now, who in their spiritual immaturity choke 
on the truth of God's word that's about a millimeter above milk. And there are uneducated saints who feed with pleasure and profit on the weightiest teachings of the Bible. It's primarily a moral and spiritual fitness that came from what you do with milk, whether you are dull of hearing or whether you are hard of heart or sensitive to God's word. The solution here, in other words, the remedy that we're talking about, is not to jump from milk to meat. We think, oh, I'm immature? Quick! Get a heavy! Jump from milk to meat! That's not the remedy in this text. The remedy is, what do you do with milk? What do you do with the Word as it comes to you at any level? Especially the basic level of the wonderful promises of God. This is so important because of how prone we are to think it's really a problem of intellect, whether you can grow in understanding the Bible. Really a problem of education, when in fact, old Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, the pastor, 100 years ago in London, said that he learned most of his weighty theology from a kitchen maid named Mary, who'd never been to school a day in her life. Because her heart was so supple in the hands of God that when she read a Romans 9 or a Hebrews 7, everything in her was spring-loaded to see and understand and receive and put it together with the other glories in the Bible. And there was no rebellion. The main reason we don't understand the Bible is because we hate the Bible. The reason we can't grasp doctrines is because we're so wired towards self-exaltation and self-determination that when a God-centered Bible lands on our table, it cannot mean what it says. These are moral and spiritual issues, not primarily intellectual issues. I know in all of my years of schooling, and there were about 28 of them, well, no, the first six I didn't go to school. I was 28 when I did all this. And all that stuff, I saw no correlation between intellect and the capacity to grasp the greatness of God. It is a moral issue. I believe in education. I'll preach all series one of these days. In fact, you students who are here, I'm going to talk about the supremacy of God in the life of the mind and why to go to college in about 15 minutes. So I believe in education. But I'm not kidding myself. I've seen enough of life to know education fits no one to eat solid food. That's not the issue in this text. The issue is, has something happened in this thing that verse 14 calls senses? Spiritual senses transformed to become discerning so that you can handle things morally. Let me close with three steps toward maturity. This text wants you to get to the point where you can teach. Step one, drink the milk. Drink the milk. Don't turn from the milk. Drink the milk. Snatch at every piece of truth comes near you and feed on it. Drink the milk. Give heed to the milk. Don't be 
resistant. Don't be distracted. Have a little baby at home now. So good to have a little baby at home. And Talitha hasn't, well, we do give her, you know, those Cheerios and whatnot, but she's still mainly drinking all the time at 11 months. And when she gets thirsty, she is very focused. And she says, I will make everybody in this house totally miserable until my thirst is satisfied. And she wins every time, as, of course, she should. And when she latches on to that bottle with her little rooting reflex, she's so focused that nothing else is going to pull her off of that until something inside is transformed. Hunger is satisfied. So be like that. We sometimes think being babies on milk is a negative picture in the Bible. It is not. You are commanded earnestly desire the sincere spiritual milk of the word that you may grow up thereby. Being baby-like in the way you feed on the word is good. Be like Talitha. Ah, I've got to have it. Be like that. And when you get it, nothing's going to distract you. Treat preaching that way. Treat teaching that way. Treat the Bible that way. Treat great Christian books that way. Don't be dull and distracted and passive in your life, just kind of drifting and coasting along and radio puts in one thing and TV puts in another thing and people put in another thing and you don't have any vigorous, active pursuit of something like the milk of the Word. So step one, drink it. Drink the milk. Step two, be satisfied with it. Savor it, swallow it, digest it. Be satisfied with it. The reason for that is because it's in the milk being embraced, delighted in, enjoyed, and satisfied that step three happens. So let's take three and we'll be done. Step three is with a satisfied heart in the milk of God, discern between good and evil. Discern between good and evil. Now, the way that happens is fairly simple. When the word comes in and it is received, not with dullness, but with baby-like thirsty receptivity, and it seeps down into the crevices of the heart where you've been hurt or sinful and begins to do its satisfying healing work, you become different. You're shaped by that milk. And when you become different, you can smell the good. You can smell it and distinguish it from the evil. Everybody in this room knows, if you just reflect for a minute, that 95% of your decisions during the day are not spelled out for you in the Bible. And therefore, the need for discerning is tremendous. What I mean is, I need no discernment to know when to murder. I need no discernment to know when to commit adultery. I need no discernment to know when to steal. Reason? They're in a list. And God gave me the list. I just don't do those things. God said not. I do not need a great sniffing capacity. But, which TV pro- programs to watch? 
investment strategies, choice of where to live, what to drive, whether to own a gun, how to use your money. A thousand decisions made every day are not explicitly in a list and in the Bible. So what are you going to do? There's only one hope. Become a certain kind of person having fed so deeply on milk that your senses, as verse 14 says, by practice in handling the milk, your senses, your spiritual senses are transformed. Romans 12 says, be transformed in the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God. Same thing. You can discern between good and evil. You can just smell it even before you can articulate in your head what the reason is. Discernment is what you do naturally when the milk of God's promises is so savored and is so satisfying that it gives you the mind of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us to drink with delight the milk of the word of promise until the desires of our hearts are so transformed that those very desires become discernment. And we hate evil. We don't desire it anymore. And our very longings are the rudder of our life. Oh, what liberty. What liberty to only do what we love to do because we've come to love to do what is right to do. I pray for that miracle deep down in our hearts. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you discernment and joy and peace. And all the people said, Amen.